0: to the Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. For more on events, news, and research, visit us at ShorensteinCenter.org.
1: Welcome to you all. I'm, uh, I'm Alex Jones. I'm director of the Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy. And it is my great pleasure today to welcome, um, you know, once you work for the New York Times, everybody else who ever worked for the New York Times is your your cousin, at least, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> if, not, right. your, if not your sibling. Um, Meredith has worked at the New York Times. She's worked at the L.A. Times. Uh, she has done spectacular work both places. And then, uh, I guess it was in November, you uh, went to CNN. Is that Five you know, years ago. Five years ago. Well, no, it was November. Just a five while ago. years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she is now in charge and has been in charge of uh, cnn.com. In fact, all the digital te- all the digital things on cnn.com. And has done a great job there. Uh, we're very pleased to have you with us, and you're going to be explaining where journalism is going in the future, which I think is a, a question we're all perplexed about.
2: Indeed. Um, Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Alex, for the introduction. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for showing up. Um, Hi, Alicia. Um, uh, It's great to see everybody. Um, So I'll tell you a little bit about me, and then I have what I've uh, constructed in notes. I'm not checking my email. I'm just looking at my phone for notes, so I don't mean to be rude. and uh, don't want you to think I'm checking my email. I might a little bit. but um, (laughs) uh, So I've constructed what I'm I'm calling... uh, new rules for modern journalists. But first, let me tell you a little bit about myself. So uh, I'm a veteran of digital news. I started doing uh, work on the internet, journalism on the internet, uh, straight out of college. I graduated from the University of Missouri, where I studied journalism there. And that was 1995. And uh, around that time, they had just offered their first course on journalism and the internet. And I took it, and it opened up a new, uh, a new path of possibilities for me. So I was lucky enough, uh, the timing was good. Uh, the New York Times at that point uh, was basically setting a low bar. They were looking for people who had an email address, who knew something about journalism, to come work really <laughs> long, grueling hours for low pay in New York uh, for this brand new thing called nytimes.com. And I said, I am absolutely in. And that's what I did. So that's, that's where I started. And uh, literally that job in the early days Uh, was copying and pasting the newspaper online. Uh, We, there was a a group of us, we were all 20-somethings. We would uh, uh, make a, we would sound a horn when we published the paper (laughs) at midnight every night and then we'd go home. Uh, Actually we'd go out to the bar first and then we'd go home (laughs) since we were 20-something. And it it, it was great fun and I was there for almost seven years and over the course of that time um, it became much more than just publishing a newspaper on a website. Uh, we started experimenting very early on with breaking news, with video, with audio, uh, with doing content uh, just for uh, the site. And that continued to grow. The audiences expanded, the business model expanded, the team expanded, and by the time I left, I had wiggled my way into a management position. I was the, the number two uh, for the uh, digital newsroom at the New York Times. And then I saw an opportunity uh, to take a job working for the International Herald Tribune out of Paris. I was there for about five years uh, as the editor and director. Uh, That gave me the opportunity to think about the global possibilities for uh, storytelling um, uh, on a a digital platform with a global brand like that. That was wonderful. Uh, Lots of good work, lots of wine lunches in Paris, and and that was great. And then uh, I went to the LA Times. Uh, where I was executive editor for LATimes.com. And then after a while, I was named one of the three managing editors uh, for the LA Times. Uh, And then CNN called. And that was five years ago. And my job now is the editor-in-chief of CNN Digital. Uh, So that means a few things. Uh, The portfolio for CNN Digital contains CNN.com, monster, massive site. Uh, Hopefully uh, you all go there and and like it, or if you don't like it, uh, that's all. you can blame it on me, and I'll and I'll shift that blame onto other people on my team. But that's CNN.com <laughs> on mobile, on desktop, and on social. That's CNN International, CNNI.com, on mobile, on desktop, across social, and that's CNN Money, uh, on mobile and desktop across social. So there's a global team of about 300 uh, people who are who are just a part of my digital team, uh, who uh, report. Uh, Create content, curate content and program across all of those platforms for CNN. Uh, so that's the job now. but there's a there's a there's another part of that job, which is uh, equally exciting, which is taking an organization like CNN and working throughout that organization, my team and I, to make this transition even more into the digital space. So my job is not just to, uh, talk to the team about what stories we're going to do, and what angles we're going to do, and what forms and formats we're going to do, but to really help tap into the rest of the organization. So I see Christiane Amanpour up on the wall there. Uh, we work really closely with Christiane and team to, to think about not just what she's doing on her show and how we can bring that onto digital, but things that she should just be doing for digital that may or may not make it onto her show, uh, but that are just great important critical stories of our times that uh, she does so well. So. Um, that's what I do now. Um, I'm based out of Atlanta. Uh, I have a husband who's an ex-journalist. I have a five-year-old son uh, who uh, literally just, uh, he lost his first tooth, and he literally lost it. We don't know where it is. (laughs) Um, I should point this out. And so in a a move of... um, controversial parenting among family and friends. We decided the tooth fairy is not coming because he, there's no tooth to give the fairy. So anyway, I know, I know. So um, he'll have more teeth that he can lose. So um, so that's, um, that's what I do now. Um, I travel a lot. I spend a lot of time in New York, in DC, uh, London, and Hong Kong these days as well. Um, so uh, that's me. I should um, pull up my notes and start talking about um, what I'm considering these uh, uh, five rules uh, for modern journalists. When I was talking with Tim Bailey about the title of this, uh, I had suggested five rules for digital journalists, and then I thought another second about it, and I said, let's stop putting digital in front of journalists these days, shall we? I mean, it's just... It goes without saying. It goes without saying, right? Um, And maybe not all journalists these days are digital-centric or digital first, but I think all journalists these days understand the power of digital, and uh uh social media and whatever uh, platforms that they're that they're on so um these are kind of uh, some things i've learned along the way about uh what some of the best of the best modern journalists do Um, all right so number one and hopefully um uh, we can add to this list and, and talk as we go along alex however you see fit but um the first piece of advice It's kind of the umbrella piece of advice, which is um, slow down a bit, uh, focus. Um, To be a journalist these days means that there's a lot that you need to consider, uh, maybe more than you've ever had to consider. If you are a print journalist, you need to be thinking about video. You need to be thinking about photography. If you're a video journalist, you need to know how to write. Uh, Many journalists these days are told they need to know how to code. A lot of journalists these days are told they need to grow their own brand across multiple social media platforms. There's a lot to think about and consider. And that's a very powerful thing. Um, But it can be dangerous, because it can mean that you're uh, removing yourself from the actual act of doing journalism that makes an impact and that matters. Uh, So I'm going to keep on coming back to this theme and give a a couple of uh, pieces of advice of how to get at this. and you know, it's worth noting that um, this feeling of uh, being overloaded is something that seems to be pervasive in our culture these days. Um, a lot of people blame technology or the media um, for that. Um, I do think what's important, especially as a journalist, is to have that discipline to say, this is what I'm going to be good at doing, whether it's a beat or a specific platform. Uh, and I'm going to focus on that and I'm going (coughs) to do that well and I'm going to give it a name and I'm going to own that. The best journalists uh, that I've worked with throughout my years are the ones (laughs) who know that and uh, get after it and don't feel like they have to be everywhere all of the time. And I'll give you a small example. I want to illustrate these points with an example. Um, uh, So uh, this is a very small example. It's very easy. Um, One, uh, uh, this is is kind of about the, the craft of headline writing. So uh, old school art uh, that's been a part of journalism for ages. And uh, at CNN, we had a story about the relentless weather that you're seeing here in the city. And the, the headline, we have multiple stories on the weather in Boston. And the first, first version of the story we had, we put on our uh, social platforms and on our home pages. And the headline was something along the lines of Boston braces for more snow. OK. Um, and guess what? Uh, we started looking at the real-time data. We use a lot of data to track what our audience is looking at. And it didn't do that well because it was essentially a story that told you more of the same is going to come, right? It's not, it's not really artful headline writing. And then one of our writers took a little bit of time, took a little bit of discipline. They had a lot that they needed to worry about. They had a lot of demands. This, this, this homepage writer had a lot of demands on them at that moment. And they just said, hold on, hold on, let me just take a little bit of moment, take a moment to have some discipline on this. And they came up with a headline that said, uh, Boston would wave a white flag if you could see it. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, it's just, it, there's a little bit of emotion, there's a little bit of a wink. Um, and to nobody's surprise, that story went straight through the roof on our real-time metrics. Um, same Same story. Uh, that, that was actually written as a conversational story along those very lines, not a you know, straight wire report uh, with a weather forecast, and that did extremely well. So Ed, that's one example of just having the discipline in a fast-paced world, uh, certainly around digital media, and you could argue this goes, it goes beyond, but having that discipline to think about what am I going to focus on to do uh, to, to get right and have an impact? Um, that's my point number one. And my point number two is uh, related to this. The best and brightest modern journalists that I've seen pick a metric, a measure of success that matters to them. So this is about data and the use of data, which is an extremely powerful thing. It's also something that, uh, once you jump into, uh, you can just swim around in for, for days and days. So it's good to pick something. For video journalists, I've seen a lot of people pick completion rates, so you can actually tell when someone <coughs> drops out when our audiences drop out of a video, you can actually tell uh, more than half the audiences made it sixty percent through this uh, three or four minute video. It's not bad. You can tell uh more than half of the audiences made twenty percent of the way through. what happened to twenty percent you know and then and then we stop and we look at that and uh, these are not this is not a team of independent uh business intelligence uh, uh, people or a, or a separate team somewhere hidden in the, in the building. This is a group, uh, this is a, a journalist working with a couple of other people to say, please tell me, like, how did, uh, what worked here? How far did people go? What did they look at? What did they see? You can do the same thing with time spent metrics, obviously, on text stories. We had, uh, we started our morning news meeting, we have an 8 a.m digital meeting every morning and we started our morning news meeting with one of our assignment editors on our digital news desk noted that the story about the three girls who have been uh, it looks like they were lured into Isis and, uh, uh, from the UK and it looks like they've made it into Syria we have a story on the woman uh, who looks like did that luring of these three young women uh, to go and uh, join Isis. That story had an average time spent average of six and a half minutes. Average that 's really powerful, we see a lot of other stories uh, have far uh, lower engagement numbers, uh, so that tells us a couple of things that tells us that one we know that's a, we know it 's a critical story that 's why we did it. We know we, we, we were pretty sure it was going to be a high interest story, um, but it tells us maybe we can go a little long on this story. maybe this is a story we need to make a few more assignments on. Maybe this is a story we can dive deeper into we 're using uh, our audience reaction and the data to help us, to help steer us uh, deeper into our assignments and to help us make decisions about what we do. And that's, uh, that's a very powerful thing. Modern journalists do that very well and to great success, and it helps get their stories uh, read and seen and viewed. Um, I had another example I wanted to pull up on this. Um, So we do get, at CNN, we get a lot of reports. We get a lot of uh, hourly reports, daily reports. We're constantly looking at video streams and page views and seeing what's doing well, and we're, um, we're addicted to that. And it's a lot. Um, but I, there's a couple of things that have really worked, a couple more specific examples. Uh, the Ukraine is obviously uh, a focal spot and a hot story right now, and we have a lot of people on the ground uh, coming in and out of the Ukraine. Uh, a, lot of this, a lot of the daily developments... This explosion happened here. This many people dead. These world leaders are coming to Minx to have a conversation about a ceasefire, etc. Those do okay. They do okay. Uh, but framing the story, we actively see this in the data. It's fascinating, and it matches instinct with data, which is one of the wonderful things about it. We had a we had a lead on our on our story a couple of days ago that started more than 5,000 lives lost, a vast and unfolding humanitarian crisis the downing of a civilian airliner that shocked the world, a failed ceasefire, and shades of an east-west proxy war. That's a different way to start a piece than saying, here's the daily development. Here's X number of people uh, who were killed in this fight or this movement of these rebels to this place. Uh, Getting people into the story, again, this kind of confirms a lot of what we already know about good storytelling, but we see that in the data that when you start a story off that way, uh, and then you can get into the developments and what you need to know, that gets exponentially uh, more traffic, more social shares, et cetera, uh, than if you just do kind of the straight up right. Um, The other thing, uh, point number three, um, is to pick a social platform that suits you and suits your story. Those are two separate things. All social platforms are not created equal. Uh, We're seeing uh, at CNN, and I should have said this at the beginning, by the way, um, one of the other things that I do is I'm the President of the Board for the Online News Association. And so I have a a membership of of fantastic digital journalists around the world, and we talk a lot about uh, industry best practices and all of that. So I see some of this through my work uh, at CNN and uh, throughout uh, the Online News Association, too. Um, so one of the, some of the things that the best and brightest do are they know that, they know that Facebook is good for certain kinds of stories. Facebook, uh, there's a couple of generalities that people say. Facebook tends to be really good for video. Facebook tends to be really good for uh, uh, evening publishing when people are kind of at home and checking their phones and their feeds. Twitter might not be that good for driving traffic back and forth, but Twitter is really good for reaching a certain kind of influencer audience or having uh, a connection actually with TV. We've seen some strength from uh, Twitter on that. (coughs) Instagram is great for photography because that's what Instagram is. So there's a lot of people, so there's two points here. One is certain stories lend themselves to certain platforms. And it's good to be able to think about that and identify that. a conversation that you might have on Facebook around, Christiane does this all the time, a, a conversation around uh, one of her stories uh, that she's working on. She'll have a Facebook chat. The kind of engagement and conversation that you can get off of Facebook is very different than what you get on other social platforms. So it's good to spend some time to think about that, and depending on the story that's most important. The best journalists do that, and they do it artfully, and they do it well. Um, and the other thing, the other example that I'd like to, to share on that point is we have one of our strongest international correspondents. is a guy named Nick Patton Walsh. And he was in the besieged city of Kobani not that long ago. Um, he did incredible work from the ground on what's happening uh, with ISIS. He, uh, his, his, his quote was, uh, civilians there are eking a life uh, eking out a life in the rubble. Uh, so Nick couldn't do a whole lot from the ground. There were some, some security issues, some safety issues. He, we, this was not one of these things where we could say, OK, Nick, you're on the ground in Kobani. We need you to do a million things for digital and have a chat on Facebook and do all this stuff. But when he came out, uh, he did a series of writes and uh, video pieces that we put out across our, uh, all of CNN's platforms. And at that point, we asked him to do a Reddit AMA. Who here knows what that is? Yeah, okay. Uh, so on Reddit, they do the Ask Me Anythings, and we and he, it wasn't a platform that he was familiar with, but, it, but this suited his story so well. Days after he came out of Kobani, he did an AMA on Reddit. The numbers were not astronomically huge in terms of the amount of people who were on it, but the quality and caliber of the conversation was fantastic, and we used Uh, his insights, his conversation that he was having with people asking him what did he see on the ground of Kobani as more content to keep his story going, right? So if we hadn't have done that, we could have just put his stories up on the home pages of CNN.com and CNNi.com, tweeted about it a little bit and left it alone. But when he got back, because he took some time engaged with audiences in a new way, that gave the story a critical story at a critical time, new life, a new attention, and that's a really, a really good habit uh, to get into. Uh, and similarly, we have, you know, our our Tokyo correspondent Will Ripley is really involved in Instagram. He's just naturally, he likes that platform. He just he, he uses it for his personal life. He's out on a story. He takes a few photos and puts it on Instagram. So again. Um, we try to capitalize on that. He's already there. He's already ha- he already has a following and an affinity for this. So uh, some, of, some of the best journalists, editors, reporters I've seen, they'll pick something that they have an affinity for, and then we can use that uh, on certain stories to, to help tell that story. Uh, this, this is a person who's already thinking about this platform and knows the strengths of it, so why not use that to further the stories? Uh, my first, my fourth point is that publishing is not the end. Um, kind of the the old way of thinking about things is you're going to put your story out. It's going to ideally get on the homepage. And if it's not on the homepage, and it's not there for long enough, and it's not there high enough, then you're going to be upset. Um, but we, the old way of thinking is just just put the story out, and when it's out, you're done, and then you can walk away. Um, the best and brightest rock star journalists these days know that publishing a story is the beginning or it's at least the middle (laughs) it's certainly not the end publishing a story is the moment where you start to engage audiences where you start to look at how it's performing uh, where you think about uh, how might I reach out to people uh, using social media to help get my story seen? Uh, how can I listen to the conversation around my story and think about potential follow-ups? Uh, publishing really is just the uh, the beginning step and not the end step. Um, and the Nick Patton Walsh example is another really good example of that. He, he It was days after he was out of Kobani that he uh, continued the conversation about his work. Um, and that begat even um, more and better work. Here's a, here's a lighter example on that. It's seen in money. We have a big, a big temple franchise, we call it, called uh, Best Jobs. Uh, a team of people pour through some data and look at uh, what are the best jobs in America based on certain criteria, uh, uh, from uh, salary to benefits to location, et cetera. One of the jobs, it's a very specific example that came up was uh, being a dentist for a variety of reasons. Uh, being a dentist made the list of the, uh, I can't remember if it's top 50, top 100 best jobs in America. So, okay, uh, they tweeted out <laughs> to the uh, American Dental Association, congratulations, dentist, you have one of the top paying jobs in America, and went and put it in front of that audience, uh, which I think is a a great way again to reach the people who you're talking about um, and who you're thinking about as you shape a story like that Uh, so that kind of uh, thinking about your audience and going out and telling them hey here's a story for you it really isn't enough these days to just put it on a site or tweet it or retweet it and walk away you can do that but you might be missing an opportunity to reach the people who you want to know about your story? Uh, so those tools are—they're uh, they're wonderful tools that we have these days. And then lastly, I will say, um, uh, as, my, as my fifth point, uh, a golden rule, or really good piece of advice is to beware of the big and shiny objects. Um, and this is just as much of a, a, a piece of advice, or something I've seen uh, that kind of some of the top editors leaders and managers do. Um, and who here knows what snowfall is? Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I bet a lot of you probably read the, the innovation report from the Times. So uh, there was a lot of conversation about snowfall. Uh, uh, you asked that question in Boston? <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know what snowfall yeah. is? <laughs> yeah. Waving the white Fair flag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the project, not the stuff that falls in the sky. <laughs> okay, got it. Good to clarify. Thank you for that. Uh, So, uh, there's a lot of temptation these days to try to do the things that are uh, just going to take a lot of time and be big and beautiful. And those are good things to do. It's not to say don't do them, Uh, it's just to say pick and choose carefully. And a lot of times, what you can do is to say we don't have to take something and hide it away for months and months and months. We might start by dipping our toe into a story and looking at uh, what we see if we publish a few pieces on a certain story and look at the interest. And then maybe that grows into something. And then maybe you start to say, oh, we could turn this into something big. Um, There's a bunch of examples uh, like that that we've uh, done at CNN that's been successful. And one of my favorites is kind of my last example, uh, is one of our columnists. It's a guy named John Sutter. And he...
1: Sorry. It's all right. It's me.
2: <laughs> and he uh, asked, uh, asked audiences, what are the issues that matter to you? He put out a list of about 20 things. And what are the issues that matter most to you in this world? Uh, it was a wide range of things, from child poverty, to climate change, to inequality in America. It was a very wide list. And he asked audiences to vote on that list. He said, we'll take the top five, whatever they are, and we're going to find a story, we're going to cover it. And uh, that could have been something that we turned into a big, gigantic multimedia presentation. And we thought about it. Uh, But instead what we did, one of the things that people were really concerned about was uh, uh, the most endangered I think it was body of water that people voted on, something like this. But he ended up doing a story on the most endangered (coughs) river in America, uh, the San Joaquin. And he went along the San Joaquin, uh, sometimes walked along it because it was dry, and sometimes kayaked along it, and along the way reported his trip. Uh, He used Twitter most of the way. He used a little bit of Google+, Plus. he has an affinity for that platform. But he used social tools as he was reporting to talk about what he was seeing, all in advance of the larger story that included a big, glorious video and a big, long write and a few other pieces that we did around it across our digital platforms and also on air. He, he reported that story in process so he could start to gauge some audience reaction. And people came out and actually met him along the way during his reporting. Uh, so I like that example as more of an iterative approach to reporting as opposed to taking everything in, working on something for six months, and then pushing it out. Uh, I've, done, I've done both in the places I've worked. And um, one of the things that seems to, to work very well these days is uh, being a little scrappy and thinking about what can we put out now to edge something out and forward and then uh, snowball it, if not snowfall it. Um, so those are my things.
1: Um, okay. uh, let me take the prerogative of the being the director here and ask you a couple <coughs> of questions, then we'll open it up. My first reaction to what you say is that your points two, three, and four, and maybe even five, seem to me to be completely contrary to one. Mm-hmm. Because you've outlined all the things that journalists <coughs> must do in addition to going out and doing journalism. They mm-hmm. need to think about expanding the audience and these other platforms mm-hmm. and whatnot. We, we had a terrific journalist here last week in the same spot you're sitting in. And he was talking about covering Ferguson, Wesley. And, yes, and it was like it was like, oh my God! I mean, he was. I don't see how he can possibly keep it up for another five years right. at the pace he's going, and feels like he must go and wants to go for right. the Washington Post. And my I guess, my question is, I, I'm not disputing any of the things you said, including the wisdom of number one, but I just wonder if really you do want people to slow down, or is it not that they're working? In fact, in this pressure cooker of doing all the things that you mentioned in two, three, and four, and five, while they're trying to also do journalism,
2: mm-hmm. um, I don't find them contradictory at all. And the point of two, three, four, and five is to focus and pick one of those things, because otherwise there really is too much to do. You can't you can't completely retrench and say. I'm not going to do any of these things. I'm not going to care about my audiences. I'm not going to In care about social platforms.
1: you were offering all five to be done simultaneously.
2: No, not necessarily. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm basically saying that what I see, and and you know, I
1: I'm sure Wesley would interpret it that way and think that he's it sounds like Wesley it. already
2: has. <laughs> um, he's wonderful, and he and he's one of those leading modern journalists. Uh, but he's doing a lot of those things. Um, I think it really is about, uh, what I'm trying to say is focus on something that you want to know about the audience that matters <coughs> to you and follow that for a little while. It doesn't mean you have to be addicted to it every hour of every day. Uh, pick a social platform that you feel like you're, you're already active on and you're interested in and, and use that a little bit, push that envelope a tiny bit. or. If you have a story that you think really could have a, a really big impact on Facebook because you'd like to have a conversation with people, do that. Take it, take 45 minutes to have that conversation. I actually think that the discipline in this is what's key because otherwise it really does become overwhelming. That's my umbrella point. Mm-hmm. There's too many people I see these days who feel like they have to do everything everywhere, all the time. <coughs> and that's what stops mm-hmm. the art and the act of journalism.
1: This other question is is uh, is Is a different kind of question. Uh, And I'm asking it genuinely because I don't know the answer, uh, not because I'm trying to to needle CNN. But CNN broadcast has, to all appearances, a very different way of choosing what it puts on air than you've been describing about how you what what you do at digital.com. The CNN formula has been pick one or two things and beat the crap out of them all day long and report the same thing again again and again and again and again and again. That's not what you guys do. I mean, it's ironic because you're changing things constantly. You're updating all the time. It's a different and much, as far as I'm concerned, more useful kind of journalism that you do than what CNN's, you know, broadcasts do these days unless you happen to be very focused on that particular story. My question to you is, why doesn't CNN have you be the <laughs> editor of the broadcast portion as well, and have the—I mean—and have the broadcast of CNN be more reflective of what you're doing on the digital side?
2: Well, there's a couple of things to that. Um, uh, one is just give me a few years. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> two—two but but two is this. Um, We actually do start the conversation with digital. So every day at 9 a.m., there's a big network-wide meeting. Uh, The president of CNN Worldwide, Jeff Zucker, gets everyone in video conference around New York and Atlanta and D.C. There's a gazillion people on the phone. And we start with digital. Uh, It's me or a member of my team takes a couple minutes and says, the story that we just published on you name it, Ukraine, North Korea, the Oscars as it was yesterday, is getting 2,000 clicks a minute off of the domestic homepage right now. Everybody, Anderson Cooper's EP, everybody knows that that's a really good number. People are, are conditioned. They know. We've talked about what's good and what counts for a good uh, digital number. Um, so that when we, when we say that the Ukraine story and the way that we led that story by talking about what's at stake here, it's an east-west proxy war, all of those things, when we frame that in the 9 AM news meeting, that always, I mean, I really always, in a variety of ways, ends up being that's the angle we need to be talking about on air. That's the approach that we need to be taking. And that's informed not just because me and the rest of the digital team are geniuses, but really by the audience and, and the audience interest, which is a wonderful thing. Um, so we do that in some ways. Um, the second point is the strategy is actually exactly what you described. Maybe a little bit more diplomatically, but it is to say CNN air across the US and domestic it's a linear thing. Um, th- it, you, that's the nature of the medium. So it used to be uh, that CNN uh, was on air, that we were trying to do every single story on the planet. Surface, scattershot, uh, just cover everything. Um, the way most of us Watch CNN, I shouldn't say, most, the way most people uh, watch CNN is they don't sit there for 24 hours and watch air. Uh, they come, watch a little bit, leave, uh, maybe come back. So there was an intentional strategy set out to cover four or five stories really well across air and go deep instead of be surface and scattershot across everything. That was intentional for air. And Jay Z, Jeff Zucker will talk about that, um, but it's a little bit different for digital, and we talk about that too. And we talk about this in our senior leadership meetings. We talk about this as part of the strategy. We're digital just by nature of what it is. You don't have to do just four or five. You can you can go a little bit broader. Um, that's the nature of it. So what you describe. Um, is actually part of the strategy. (laughs) I just wish that it was working for you a little bit more.
1: (laughs) Uh, One final question. How do you avoid feeling like you're pandering if you are making data so critical to the choices that you're making and the editing you're making and the things that you're trying to get those completion metrics up and things like that? And I know that you know. You're a journalist. So I know that you know that not everything important is going to get the clicks and not getting the click and getting the clicks does not necessarily mean something is important in journalistic sense how do you make that work
2: so what's important is what we're going to do and uh we're not going to say the ukraine story isn't getting a lot of traffic so we're not going to do that and we're going to focus on uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a... The sil- scandal yeah. of
1: overlooking, you know, uh, what's your name, uh, the Academy Awards. Yeah, exactly,
2: exactly, exactly. So so we're going to do the stories that are, are <coughs> core to what we feel like we need to do, and Ukraine is certainly one of those stories. Um, and we're going to use data to make that story as strong as possible. So when sometimes, as... Journalists, we get a little lazy and write the most recent development around this is what happened here today. Uh, just stop for a second and focus and say, this is actually what's at stake here. A lot of people aren't connecting everything that's been happening on the ground in the past years in Ukraine. And we're not even we're not connecting that as journalists. We, we can do a better job, and data can help us show the way on how to do that. So it's not saying let's not do Ukraine because nobody's clicking on it. It's saying this is a critically important story. How do we need to position this and tell this to reach the broadest audience to get this story told?
1: Are you guys covering the O'Reilly situation as carefully as you did the Brian Williams
2: situation? We're covering it pretty carefully. We're covering, I mean, <laughs> I could do a story count. I don't know, where are you. what are you leading to?
1: No, I just think it's fascinating. I think that, you know, CB, the CBS guy cut his throat you know, today it seems to me. I don't know. I suspect I'll see that on CNN, but I may not on Fox.
2: Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. You all
1: know what I'm talking about. The 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 CNN guy that was with Raleigh, uh, Bill Riley, with Bill Riley and uh, CBS. CBS guy, uh, basically said this is bullshit we were not in a war zone in fact he didn't even go out and cover the you know anyway, so right. it was it was not what he had hoped I think to uh, to have. anyway uh, now we're going to open it to uh, students first and then we'll get to others Natalie.
2: Hi I'm Natalie Brand I'm a mid-career MPA here at the school hey. and my question follows your last point which is are there times when you feel the data has led you a bit astray you know we have this wonderful new measure but are there kind of Pitfalls that you can warn us of or problems to avoid? I don't know where, I don't know that the data has led us astray so much as uh, it's easy to create your own narrative around the data, right? Uh, That's probably one of the more dangerous things and the thing to be aware of. So someone could say, uh, some of the people who are not all the way there yet, but they're trying, (laughs) will say, this story got 100 shares on Facebook. That's amazing. No, it's it's kind of not. Not for CNN, it's not. I, it's just, they won't put it in context of other things. They'll create a narrative that they like, they want to show that they're using data and thinking about data. Um, there's, yeah, I can think of other things like, you know, uh, it used to be, uh, and I don't see a lot of this in the last year or two, but it used to be, that people wanted to do photo galleries cuz they thought that would drive up the clicks. Like that's BS. You don't need, you know, like that's not actual that's not using data to help tell a story. That's using data for the sake of manipulating the data, right? Mm-hmm. And to and to tell everybody that, you know, you had a 300% jump when you put the page view when you put the gallery on top of a story. Okay. You know. Um so no, I think as long as, I mean again, we're we're journalists. Like we got into this so we can tell stories that matter to this world in a variety of ways. For a variety, for whether you're an idealist or you just want to tell it like it is, you want to reach people. We're not doing this work for ourselves. We're doing it for an audience, however you define it, big or small, whatever kind of group, wherever they are. So, that's what's key: is to keep that in mind and then use that data to figure out how you're reaching those audiences. How effective are you? And and. You don't need to pander. You don't need to do just only celebrity stories. You do that while staying true to your, your core and uh, who you are and the stories you want to do. And you use that data to help you improve those stories and reach those audiences. Students.
0: Yes. Hi. Uh, Eugene Scott, also hey. a May career here. Uh, you mentioned being over CNN International Digital as well. I'm very interested in what you see differently in terms of how international audiences consume digital news as mm. opposed to domestic audiences. That's a good question.
2: And I don't have all the answers on it yet, but a, a couple of things. One is, um, a, a couple of things. One is, the media thing that comes to mind, which is something that we're actually trying to dig in now and is part of the data question, we're seeing that uh, the international audiences use social differently than the domestic audiences and more actively. They use it to share more. We'll see uh, social referrals that we track, people who click on social or come back to our sites, uh, whether it's on mobile or desktop, we'll see on international that those referrals are much higher than they are domestically. We're not entirely sure why right now. It, there could be a real simple answer to it that we just haven't figured out, you know, But I, but it, it, it could be something about uh, different uses of social media in different uh, parts of the world. So we're digging into that. That's an interesting thing for us to know. Um, we do spend a lot of time, this goes back to looking at audiences and looking at opportunities. Someone was pointing out the other day that we see a lot of video usage in certain parts of Asia Pacific, like off the charts compared to the rest of the world for CNN. And that's a good thing. Video is our for business, video is what CNN has always done, and we've been investing in video digitally uh, to do more with mobile and social in mind. Um, So if video, for example, is off the charts in a place like South Korea, what are we actually doing about that? It's another way that we could start to say, this is a place where we might be able to uh, tell certain stories in this kind of format and think about how we do good work for those audiences there. So those are the kinds of conversations we have around international. The international audience is, uh, right now, smaller than the domestic digital audience, but we think that's only going to grow. We see international being a huge area of expansion for CNN Digital. Yes.
0: My question is, how do you leverage or create synergies with the traditional broadcasting media, for example? Or do you need to? Or you know, should we treat them as completely two separate media um, entities, and, and forget about you know basically trying to create cities across? Or I mean, what's going to be the, the, the um,
2: trend going forward? We have to bring it together. It's it you can't you can't kind of keep everything. You can't keep TV separate from digital. E- even within digital, we've got different pockets these days. You know, it used to be kind of the old conversation of here are the web people and here are the Print or TV people, it's it's just getting so uh, fractured in a in a really good way. Um, But that also uh, puts an opportunity in front of all of us to uh, think about how we take how we how we start with the story first, and then think about the platforms. Right? Uh, We recently merged a. We always have news meetings around the clock. We recently merged our 2 p.m. news meeting. Uh, which had a, traditionally had a, a group of, from the TV side and a group uh, from the digital side uh, having separate meetings at the exact same time. And we merged those meetings, and we said, listen, we're not going to talk about logistics in this meeting. We're not going to talk about which stories we're going to put on the homepage. We're not going to talk about which satellite trucks we're sending <coughs> to whatever location. We're going to spend this meeting talking about the four or five big stories that matter to us uh, as a network. And then we're going to use that as an opportunity to collaborate.
1: <coughs> and do you make the assignments, the news assignments? Sure.
2: Yeah. So you know, last <coughs> night, for example, I had dinner with Ann O'Neill, who's an enterprise reporter for CNN Digital. She's up here covering the Sarnayev trial, and Ann uh, is working very closely with uh, our TV colleagues who are here covering the trial, and they'll tag team. So Ann will be in the in the courtroom and taking notes and doing the summary and then making sure that gets back to uh, the TV producer and then the TV producer the next day will fill in and et cetera, they've got like a it's really starting to gel and act like a team. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, over here. Yes.
0: I'm John Clark Levin, I'm a second year Master in Public Policy student. You mentioned this idea of making the content more vivid for web, like the uh, Boston Woodwave white flag versus Boston races for more snow, but I also see some danger in media outlets sensationalizing headlines or making them really into just clickbait, where I will very often see a, a headline for an article, click on it, and come away feeling, wow, I was misled yeah. into reading that. My time was wasted. So how, how do you feel... You can best tread that line between making things interesting and vivid for web without straying into clickbait.
2: Clickbait is the scourge of the internet, right? I mean, we've all kind of felt like we've had some time robbed uh, from (laughs) us for clickbait. Um, We don't do it. Um, You know, now. There might have been there might have been some times where someone tried to get a little too creative, and you know you won't believe what you're going to see if you click on this article. I don't think we ever did that, but there've been you know there've <laughs> been some examples where I think people pushed it a little bit too far. Um, but I can I, there, there it's a single digit low single digit number. This is where it, I just we shouldn't oversimplify this argument about data into data bad journalistic instinct good it, it these are people with brains and instinct and experience who know how to write and craft and shape a story so nobody is saying you need to get that story to get 5000 clicks a minute off the homepage or you need to you know it's it's not it's not that it's not that we're uh, beholden to the data and you only do it for the sake of the numbers it's that you use it to help guide you to see what's going to resonate with your audiences. but you do that in service of the audiences and in service of the story. So I trust people. I trust my team to, to get that right. Every now and then someone will screw up, but really not that often.
1: Nick. Yeah. Uh,
0: two specific questions. One was on aB testing of headlines. Um, kind of, can you talk a little bit about that and you know if a story actually could persist over a few days, can, how much will you actually test the, the, the different the different uh, headlines? And then, secondly, at the very low end, we're starting to see software that is writing stories, you know, around a box score, that kind of stuff. Really simple, taking structured data and turning into really simple things. I know now you probably poo-poo that, but you know, just looking kind of in the future of, of
1: Yeah a year or two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the ability of soft, software to uh, inform and yeah.
0: give, give your brains more material to work on, raw material. To, to I'm not saying replace yeah. your your great team, but just,
2: yeah, you could talk about that too. Yeah, uh, we do A-B test headlines, uh, again, all in service of the story. So I don't know. I can't remember if Boston Braces for no S- for More Snow was actually A-B tested up against uh, if we could wave a white flag here in Boston or not. It might have been. Uh, the team does that. I mean, you know, there's a couple of different ways and words and language that you can use to see what's going to resonate. Um, so that happens, especially across the homepages. pages of CNN.com, CNNi.com, and CNN Money. And the way AB testing works, as many of you probably know, a very small percentage of the audience uh, will see the alternative headline, we run the test for a certain amount of time, and the one that performs best is usually the one that we go with uh, because we don't test something that's you know irresponsible or clickbait or anything like that. We test a few different versions. And then you can do that in other ways. I think CNN Money right now we're A/B testing a treatment of a photo with a headline above it or below it. Uh, we're we're seeing what works best for our audiences. Um, so we do that. Um,
1: automatic writing. Uh,
2: well, moving on to that part of the question because mm-hmm. that's not a, the A/B testing is an automatic writing. That's no, 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 no I, know, I right, know. right, that, that's
1: right. part two. Right. So part
2: two, <laughs> automatic writing. Uh, I, you know. I don't know. I, You know, I've seen a couple of examples of it, Nick. I think, um, you know, maybe writing around a box score, okay. I, you know, the thing that's, the thing that we're really, the thing that data actually helps us do as well, the thing that we're fighting against is commoditized journalism, right? So I don't really lose sleep over that right now. Maybe two years if I'm out of a job and it's all because of robots who write stories, I'll change my answer on this. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, I think Technology is advancing. I think it's making it easier to put pieces of a story together and say, OK, here's what you need to know from last night's game. OK. Um, but the the distinctive, essential work, the stories <coughs> that have an intellectual heft or have an observation or that have a color and an anecdote that can only be had by me sitting right here next to Alex Jones, that's that's the work that shines through. Yes.
1: Hi,
0: I'm Tatsang, the second year at the Kennedy School. I guess, as well as commodified, <coughs> journalism being one potential source of competition. How do you see the relationship between professional organizations like CNN and the rise of the citizen or the amateur blogger or journalist?
2: Uh, You know, CNN was one of the, uh, we started very early on with something called iReport. And that was uh, long before uh, a lot of the social media networks that we see these days uh, came around. Um, So we still use iReport. And we also have the biggest social media footprint of any news organization worldwide, between uh, Facebook and Twitter and everyone included. Um, So uh, what we get from the ground from our audiences is immensely important. We have a team of people uh, still on the iReport team that will often make an assignment for our iReporters. They'll say, listen, are you in Boston? Uh, Show us what you see. Send us your pictures. Uh, Send us your video. Tell us uh, what you're seeing and hearing, and uh, how cold you're uh, extremities are so um, we do get work that way we increasingly because of social media get work uh, on those platforms uh, how do you vet that we have a team of people who vet. they call they say oh there's somebody named Alex who sent us his photo of a 12-foot drift mm-hmm. outside of his door uh, Alex we might want to use uh, your photo in a CNN uh, report online and on air can we talk to you for a second about it uh, so we do we, we take journalistic care with those things
1: mm-hmm. It's over here. Hi, Marilyn. Yeah, we'll get both of you. You first.
2: <laughs> Alphonse, Gaston. <laughs> we were once colleagues that we never met. I'm Henry Chu with the LA Times. Hi, Henry. Hi, uh, and uh, current Newman Fellow. And I want to pick up on what you said with the Ukraine example, with that um, longish
0: headline, but the lead you mentioned that sort of framed the story. And, Hearing that, to me, that's tradition. Is something that I would have expected in times past to read in Time magazine, a weekly news magazine, or even in the LA
2: Times. You know, after a few days, that you did an analysis or looked at something broad step. And it seems to me, it's it's not something that you could write on a story like that every day. Um,
0: and it also seems to go against what the internet seems to be driving us to, which is um, every time there is an explosion, you cover it, try to be the first one on it, and you, you know get facts and. And so it seems contradictory to me, almost, in terms of putting that together, where that's uh, only an occasional thing. So could you elaborate more on that? Right, Right, like
2: especially coming from the CNN person, who's supposed to be the one doing breaking news all the time, right? <laughs> I, so strategically, that is, that is a shift that we are making. And it gets back to the point about uh, commoditized work. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that sounds the same. And we all see it in all of our feeds every day. Uh, so I have been asking the teams with support from everyone everywhere. Uh, to go deeper on the color and the context and we see that working very well Um, and there are certainly big swaths of our audience who know every single development about ukraine who who are there and 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 know the history and just want to know what's new and so we will do those developments as well but we do try to find one of the things that we started recently for example you can't give that same lead on every story every day of course um, but one of the things that we that, that we started doing is something called Start Here. We did this uh, around ISIS. Uh, we do this on a regular basis. We probably have one up uh, uh, or on the way up shortly. Uh, ISIS, we did it around Copenhagen. We do it around Ukraine. Any there's a few elements uh, around a story in motion. ISIS, you always have like three or four angles every single day. Um, we'll put that and, and sew that up. and and say, here's everything you need to know about, uh, start here. If you want to find out what's happening with ISIS right now, this moment, start here. It's a different way of giving context and sweep. The alternative would be to just do a bunch of stories on the developments and keep on updating those stories. If you put it together and frame it a little bit, uh, that's just good work. And you see audiences respond to that. Yes, sir staff writer at the Human Journalism, and um, you mentioned earlier about how Facebook is great for
0: video, and it seems like in the past few months or so, Facebook has really been prioritizing native video um, on their platform. I'm curious how you're thinking about publishing directly to Facebook and really publishing within the Facebook ecosystem as opposed to linking to your.
2: It's a work in progress with Facebook. We've, we're talking with them a lot about this. Um, video is, like I said, important to CNN. It's uh, it's our heritage. It's one of our core things that we do. Um, so we're making we're being very careful about if we put something natively in the Facebook player that's not actually properly uh, solely on CNN or driving back to CNN. But we're playing with it. Um, we're seeing if we if we put something in the native player. Uh, how does that perform? What do we? Uh, w- uh, what kind of audiences do we reach? What's the? What are the numbers behind this? So we're looking at that. But it's an ongoing conversation, right? I mean, we just launched a channel with uh, Snapchat uh, last month, and um, that was a new. Th- that's a new experiment for us too. Where every day you go on Snapchat, uh, we're one of a handful of organizations that are producing a daily edition for Snapchat that is specific to that platform. And we decided one of the reasons that we wanted to do that, and it doesn't drive back. It's inside Snapchat. It doesn't drive back to CNN on mobile or desktop in any way, shape, or form. But we decided we wanted to do that because, one, it was an awesome creative uh, storytelling exercise. We, we, we re-edit, uh, put a little bit of music in motion with a lot of the stories. Um, it works. I mean, try it if you haven't seen it. We do it with the hardest news, and we do it with the lighter stories as well. Um, So that's one of those things that we're trying, and one of the trade-offs is we said, let's let's do this. It'll be a creative exercise, (coughs) and will be something that'll put CNN in front of an audience that, frankly, we're probably not reaching otherwise.
1: I want to presume to offer you a uh, um, at least a thought. I don't know whether this is something that would work for you today or not. Are you following this immigration impasse with Congress and the president? Yes. Uh, One it came up in the class, uh, my class this morning early. Uh, and that is that the thing that has been missing, at least that's my my sense of it, and it was the class's sense of it, is who are these people who would be sent back if this thing happens? Right. They are the, the presumption is they crossed the border day before yesterday. That's not true at all. But that's something that has been left out of the story <coughs> and would make a very powerful Piece of it, if it were atta- if it were looked at, it seems to me.
2: I agree. That's a great story idea, and this gets back <laughs> this gets back to the point about data because we actually have done a lot of those stories. This gets back to the point about how we're all inundated. Like, how would you know that CNN has done a series of stories on this? I might be able to find creatively a way to say, here are the people who I know care about immigration because maybe they've mentioned it. Uh, on their Facebook feeds and say can I please get this story in front of you? This is about a real person who would be sent back, depending on well, what and, happens. And
1: this fact that these people, who they are, deserves to be part of this political story, too. That's I mean, right. I mean, it just should be part of the context of telling the story, whatever the focus of that particular moment is as Agreed. far as, anyway, last one.
0: Uh, thank you. Uh, so one of the questions, I guess, as a follow-up to the gentleman's back there was, uh, how do you manage the challenge? It seems to me, like, historically, the journalist, or at least the journalist entity, has owned the mechanism by which the news is distributed. Right? I own the printing press. I own the cable station. But as you shift in sort of these digital formats, a lot of times, as you're saying, the sharing is on Facebook or Snapchat, mechanisms that the journalist doesn't control and that are optimized not for your interest, but for that tech company's revenue interest in, in the end. Like, how do you manage sort of that loss of editorial control over your own content? Not not in terms of what you're saying, but you you don't control the algorithms of the Facebook news feed, but you're dependent upon it for your audiences, I guess. How do you... Do you work with them on those issues? I mean, do you... You know, they today it's video and tomorrow they switch it to audio. And all of a sudden you have to, re- like, you just redo everything every six months? I mean, I guess how yeah. do you manage those processes?
2: Yeah, we do, we do try to stay in close contact. But we also try to not put all of our eggs in other people's baskets, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's why we do need to strategically make decisions about where are we going to put video on somebody else's platform as opposed to our own. Um, we need to weigh those things and do those things in order to uh, get the stories that we want to be told out into the audiences that we want to tell them to. Um, but those, it, it's it's tricky. I mean, there's no short answer to that. One is to probably uh, be abreast of all the changes that everyone is making, whether it's you know uh, an algorithm being changed for SEO purposes or uh, something that Twitter or Facebook do that uh, changes our. Uh, Presence of referral traffic or presentation, all of those things have an impact. But that's why it's also good not to overly rely on those things, uh, to to use them as as tools um, and not uh, not put all your eggs in one basket.
1: Sorry to say, we're at the end. Uh, Meredith, I think it's absolutely plausible that you will be running CNN in a few years. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you.